You're listening to a sermon from the Spring Midtown Church in Phoenix, Arizona. If you'd like to learn more about the Spring and its ministry, please visit thespringmidtown.org or follow us on Instagram or Facebook. Well, friends, he is risen. Jesus is alive. Man, this is the day that we remember that Jesus is alive, that death couldn't hold him. That Jesus is not stuck in a grave. You and I might be stuck in our houses right now, but Jesus is on the move, doing things in and among us, working in our world, even as we speak. Jesus is alive, and I feel like preaching about it. So if you would, uh, turn it in the Bible. We're going to be in Luke chapter 24. We're going to be at verse 1. We're continuing or really closing our series, This Greater Than That. And today we're talking about Jesus greater than death, because he is. Luke chapter 24, we're going to be at verse 1. And you're going to want to leave a finger in this or keep it open on your phones, because we're going to stop and come back to it a few times. But on the first day of the week, at early dawn, they came to the tomb taking the spices that they had prepared. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body. While they were perplexed about this, suddenly two men in dazzling clothes stood beside them. The women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground. But the men said to them, Why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. We'll stop there. The tomb is empty. And Jesus is not there. The tomb is empty. The stone has rolled away. It's the same tomb. But the tomb is empty. And the women have come because they think that he's going to be there. I mean, that's the thing about dead people. They're very reliable. You can always count on them to be exactly where you left them. That's it's one of the few things that's nice, actually, about dead people. You know where they're going to be at all times. And these women have come for the same reason anybody goes to a tomb or a graveyard or a cemetery. They come to pay their respects. They're bringing sweet-smelling things to cover up their sadness and the smell of death. They're going to honor the dead. They're going to weep. They're going to mourn. They're there because they absolutely expect Jesus to be there, and the tomb is empty. What a letdown. And they're so confused. Uh, the other gospel writers like to highlight the fact that this would be really sad, that this would be really hard to not know where your friend is, that to, to wonder if maybe the body has been taken or, or what's happened but Luke really just highlights the fact that they don't really know. They're at a loss. I mean, what? Like, where's, where's the body, though? Like, a, the tomb is empty? In Greek, uh, the word which was perplexed in my text uh, is aporestai, which comes from two words, uh, a meaning no or not, and perestai, uh, to be on the way. Literally in Greek, they are in a state of no way. The tomb is empty. No way. And all of a sudden, 
there are these two guys who are standing next to these ladies who are peering into the tomb and they look in as well. And at some point they just say, so what, what are we looking for? And the ladies are freaked out because not only did these guys come out of nowhere, but they're very shiny and they don't really know what to do with this. And the guys are talking to them like the ladies are just a little slow. Like, come on, like he's not, he's not here. Like you're not, it's not that you can't see him. Like he's really not there. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? As though they're idiots. But you and I absolutely know why they're looking for Jesus in a graveyard because that's where he's supposed to be. It's over. He died. He died violently and painfully. We all know this. Everybody knows this. And yet these guys seem to think that something has happened. And then they keep going. This is verse six. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee? The Son of Man must be handed over to sinners and be crucified and on the third day rise again. They remembered his words and returning from the tomb, they told all of this to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the other women with them who told this to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale and they did not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloths by themselves and then went home, amazed at what had happened. So the women who are here, they hear what these angels say, and they don't necessarily believe, but they do remember Jesus saying something about rising from the dead, and it was one of the many things that they didn't really understand because Jesus says lots of stuff and it's really hard to remember it all or know exactly what it means. But they go from there and they go back to the apostles and they tell them what they saw and what they heard. And those guys don't believe them because, you know, grieving women, hysterical, I don't know, but it just seems to them like idle talk. Uh, in Greek, it's really strong, like completely worthless nonsense. That would be a, just, it's, what are you even saying? Like, who cares? The body's gone, though? Like, what does it mean? What do you mean the body's gone? And they're like, well, we saw these guys, and they're like, he rose. Okay, but the body's gone. Like, that's a much more pressing thing. And Peter runs back to the tomb, and he sees that it's empty. And Peter, likewise, it doesn't say he believes, just that he's amazed. No one really believes yet. Everyone's just sort of confused as to what has happened to the body. The clothes the, clothes of the body were wrapped in were on the ground. Nobody's going to unwrap a body that they're stealing. Where did the body go? Like, that's just so strange, so confusing. The tomb is empty, and some people are saying that Jesus is alive. This is really important. There are people who, in our time, think that, well, you know, 2,000 years ago, they believed in, like, ghosts and goblins, all kinds of stuff. They were just more gullible then. And I got to tell you, people now believe in ghosts and goblins. And thousands of years ago, they weren't any more gullible than they are now. They may not have known about indoor plumbing, but they did know that dead people are always where you've left them. The dead people remain dead. That's just, that's a fact of human existence. It's tragic, it's hard, but it's something that everybody knows. There's a New Testament scholar named Tom Wright, who I've read a lot of his books, and so I'm going to paraphrase him heavily. And I don't want to blame him for where the paraphrasing just walks away from what he would say. But basically, he'd say, you know, in the time of Jesus and before and after, 
the word Messiah is something that a lot of people have used for other people. There have been lots of Messiahs and they all die. Now it's unique how Jesus dies. It's unique that he dies on the cross for us. There's a lot about Jesus that's unique, but still that the Messiah dies, that has happened before. That's where the story of Hanukkah comes from. One of the Messiahs before Jesus who dies. There were Messiahs after Jesus who died. That's a very normal thing. And when the Messiah dies, usually what you do is you say, well, you know, he's dead, but what he was fighting for lives on in us. Or, you know, he's with us sort of metaphorically in spirit. We, you know, we can fight for his ideas, for what he stood for. That's, that's what we could, you know, he's with us in that way. He's with us. Or maybe you look at one of his male relatives and you go, he's going to lead us now. You know, this, it's sort of been inherited by his cousin or his son, and that's the Messiah now. And in that way, he's still with us because, you know, his bloodline lives on and he's, this guy's the Messiah. The crazy thing about the Christians is that they don't do any of this. Instead, they say, no, he's still alive. They had other options. It would have been much easier to just say, no, James or Judah, Jesus's brothers, those guys are the Messiah now. But the weird thing about both James and Jude, when they write New Testament letters, they say, Jesus is the Messiah. Not that he was, but that he is. And these guys become leaders in the New Testament church. So my own brothers would never confuse me for the son of God. Just wouldn't happen. And if I died and they know where I was buried, no one would ever convince them that I had risen from the dead unless they literally saw me. They're never in danger of being impressed by me, my brothers. But these guys, even though they could have been the Messiah, even though they could have done all sorts of things, go, no, Jesus, not that he was, he is alive. Not metaphorically, not symbolically, literally alive. The tomb is empty. Jesus is alive. And the women who've come to these guys, talking to them, this is James's own mom. This, this is Mary, who they know. Joanna, who they know. These are named witnesses. And they don't listen to them because it's just too crazy to believe. But then as the story continues, and we're not going to read those verses, but when the story continues, Jesus shows up and it freaks everybody out. And he goes, yeah, just, you know, put your finger in my side here. Touch the hands that have the nails. Do, do anybody got anything to eat? I'm not a ghost. I'm not a vision. I'm not a dream. I'm real. And then in verse 44, Jesus preaches a sermon. So we're going to skip down to verse 44. Then he said to them, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Messiah is to suffer and to rise from the dead on the third day. And that repentance and forgiveness of sins is to be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And see, I am sending upon you what my father has promised. So stay here in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. And so Jesus, who's appeared to them, who's made them, you know, stick fingers and hands in weird gaping holes in his side. Jesus is now talking to them about the resurrection from the dead. The guy who walked out of the grave is telling them that that is no longer the end 
of humanity. And this has profound implications for you and for me, because if death can't hold on to Jesus, then death can't hold on to us. And that is absolutely what Jesus' sermon is saying. Look, you thought death was the end, and I'm telling you it's not anymore. The stone was rolled away from my grave. The stone has been rolled away from your grave as well. What we see in Jesus in the, the incarnation, the crucifixion, the resurrection, is that the human story, right, with this complicated suffering and the craziness and the fact that we don't really know what's going to happen to us and what's going to happen to our world and the fact that everything seems so up in the air all of the time, that that isn't an unsolvable problem, but that in Jesus, all of a sudden things can be fixed that we thought could never be fixed. The greatest problem that humanity has ever faced and ever will face the fact that all of us die suddenly is transformed because the stone rolls away for Jesus. The stone rolls away for us as well. He is living proof of that. Uh, I'm going to ask Clint to share something on his screen really quickly. Uh, This is uh, the, well, the seal of Spain, uh, the country of Spain, at least hopefully it'll show up. If it can't, you you'll figure it out. But the country of Spain uh, has this sort of coat of arms, and soccer fans may recognize it at some point. But there are these two columns on either side. You can see the two columns on either side, and they're called the, the Pillars of Hercules. And you can see in Latin on the columns, there are two words, plus ultra. But it used to say, ne plus ultra which is also Latin. Ne plus ultra means nothing further beyond. Nothing further beyond. Thanks, Clint. You can get rid of that. These pillars uh, for Spain, they, they symbolize the, the rocks of Gibraltar, the two rocks kind of at the entrance of the Mediterranean Sea on the north and on the south. And in the ancient world, the idea of the, the Strait of Gibraltar, the rocks of Gibraltar, is that they, well, they were the end that's that's as far as the world goes. There was nothing beyond them, ne plus ultra. And for Spain, this was sort of a point of pride that, well, they were the edge of the universe because the world was flat. And if you sailed past them, eventually you'd sail off the edge of the earth into an abyss. You would cease to exist. There would be no more of you and no more of anyone else. There's nothing further beyond. Until one day... Spain discovers the new world. And I know there's a complicated history in that, but just for the moment, think about the crazy revolution that that represents. That the world went from being this to being this. That the world went from being flat, and it's always been flat, and everyone's always known that it was flat, to suddenly changing its shape and dimension. Suddenly, everything we've always known has turned out not to be true. And so the king of Spain changes his seal. He drops the no. And so it just becomes plus ultra, further, beyond. Because from that point forward, everything has changed. Everything we knew about the end, about the abyss, has gone away. And now we know that you can just keep going forever. That's what happens in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. The stone gets rolled away and we find out that there is something beyond death. 
There is life, real life. That everything Jesus has been talking about, about eternal life and how you can have it inside of you, how it can change you from the inside out, that that is not a metaphor. That's not some spiritual saying, kind of like what Buddha says from time to time. But this is real, that he's talking about something bodily, something that, that will actually touch you and touch me, that I will go into my grave and that I will walk right out again, exactly the same way that Jesus does that he will take me by the hand and lead me out, that there will be a trumpet that sounds, the Bible says, and the dead will be raised imperishable, that I am going to live forever, and you are going to live forever, and Jesus is the first fruits of that, the beginning of that. And that has profound implications for the rest of my life. Jesus actually gives us three things that that means for us. Number one, we've got a message, he says. And if you go back to verse 44, you'll see it. The whole of the Bible is about Jesus. Psalms, the prophets, the law, everything that's written in the Old Testament is about Jesus. And if you go looking for it, it's uncanny. You'll see all sorts of things that are about Jesus. Things that were written hundreds of years, thousands of years before he was born. It's amazing. And that this is the same God who's always had this plan for Jesus Christ. The Messiah was always going to suffer and die for our sins. He was always going to be raised on the third day. That this was God's plan from the beginning, and it's only now been revealed to us in Jesus Christ. We've seen something amazing and glorious. The moment where God completely changed the world. And we find out that there is something beyond death. We've got a message uh, number two, that this message isn't just information, but it actually is an offer. Not just a message, but an offer for us. Uh, repentance, he says, and forgiveness. It's verse 47. An offer of repentance and forgiveness. Repentance is a word that just refers to a complete change of your life. A brand new kind of life. Uh, that we would live as though we have walked out of a grave. As though our old life was a life that ends in death a life characterized by death, and that we would no longer be living people who hang out where dead people do, that we would take off those linen clothes and live into a brand new kind of life. And this is something that happens to us powerfully at baptism, where we walk away from a life that we used to live and walk into the eternal kind of life that Jesus offers. Forgiveness, likewise, is something that happens to us once and for all, a moment that Jesus secures for us on the cross, the forgiveness of our sins, anything you've ever done that's uh, wrong or shameful or that you're embarrassed of or that you wish you could take back, all of those things are undone on the cross. And yet those things aren't just things that happen in a moment, but things that are constantly happening for us as we slowly and steadily turn away from the life that we used to live and all the habits that we used to have and all the things that our body used to be involved in. And we realize, actually, that there's a long way to go before we really are following Jesus every day and with everything that we have. We want the tomb to be empty, not just for Jesus, but for us as well. And that actually takes a lot more forgiveness in our life, and it's constantly available to us in Jesus Christ. And so the message and the offer are intimately connected with each other. We've been offered this thing in Jesus, and that's actually a part of the message that we bring. And the message that we bring is really connected to the kind of offer that we have in Jesus Christ that you and I are going to live forever. Everything we do lasts forever. So the kinds of relationships you have and the way you interact with each other and the sorts of things you're reading, the sorts of things we're watching, the sorts of people we are have eternal consequences. 
And that really shifts the way you look at your life. If you realize that all of the things that you are doing and have done will last forever, that you are going to last forever, it makes you want to live a different kind of a life. One that really says, well, I want to pay attention to things that matter and I want to walk away from the things that don't matter. I want to leave the grave clothes behind me the same way that Jesus does. I don't want to be a living person who's hanging out with dead people. I want to live this brand new kind of life that Jesus offers. And that is connected to the mission. That's the third thing that Jesus offers us. That this message and this offer go to the ends of the earth. Uh, It starts with Jerusalem and then it expands out to all nations. That's the mission that we've got. That we would be people who don't just take this offer for ourselves and live a really nice self-absorbed life that goes, well, I've been given this gift from Jesus. But that we would be people who go out into the nations and talk about Jesus. That we would tell people, actually, I know that you think that it all ends here, but actually the world is different now. That Jesus has walked out of the grave, that there's actually something further, something beyond, that the tomb is empty. And you've got to deal with that in your own life. And I can tell you it'll completely change you the way it's completely changed me. And people who hear that there's well, an eternal kind of life out there, they find a different kind of hope than the one that the world has right now. I don't know if you've been watching a lot of Hulu or Netflix. I suspect you have. But all of the commercials I've been seeing lately, all of them, by the way, the car commercials are everywhere. All of them that I've been seeing lately mention, well, the times are troubled. And well, we're living in anxious times. And it's actually a really difficult time for us right now. And well, I just, things are hard right now. and We're worried right now. And they're really, really depressing. They keep sort of letting us know the exact situation we find ourselves in. And the solution they offer is, well, consider how great a corporation we are. Think about buying this new vehicle or maybe get some safe auto insurance into your life. We've talked about this in other sermons and at other times, that the offer the world has, that the sort of hope that it offers, maybe we can delay this disease When you really start to listen, you go, man, that's not that much better than the situation I'm in without your help. But the thing that Jesus offers us completely changes our life. I know that if I get sick, I will live, even if I die. I know that my children, even if they get sick, will live, even if they die. Now that really does give me hope. Because I love my children, and it is terrifying that they might die and that I might have to live my life without them. But because I genuinely do believe the tomb is empty, and I genuinely do believe that Jesus walked out, I believe that I will live forever, and that they will live too, that we will be raised. And the world is in desperate need of a message like that. In desperate need, especially in a time like this. You are in desperate need of a message like this, especially in a time like this. And the people in this story find themselves waiting around, waiting to be clothed with power, it says, from on high. That Jesus, as he leaves, now because he is going to leave and go and sit at the right hand of the Father, doesn't leave them alone, but sends the Holy Spirit, who again clothes us as we step out of our grave clothes, gives us a brand new kind of life and a brand new kind of power helps us to live into this new existence we've been given and make sure that we know that we're not living it alone. He's constantly whispering into our hearts that God is a good father, that he loves us, that he cares about us, that he's watching over us. The spirit is constantly reminding us that the tomb is empty for Jesus. 
that the stone has been rolled away and it's been rolled away from our lives as well. That you have already walked out of your grave if you are following Jesus. And that you're just going to keep following him further up and further in into a deeper and deeper kind of life, better than anything you experienced before. There's an old sermon. Uh, it was preached 1,500 years ago by a guy named John Chrysostom. And every year the Orthodox Church reads it out on Easter. And we're going to close with this. Let no one weep for his sins, for forgiveness has shone forth from the grave. Let no one fear death, for the Savior's death has set us free. He that was held prisoner of it has annihilated it. By descending into hell, he made hell captive. He embittered it when it tasted his flesh. Isaiah, foretelling this, did cry. It was embittered when it encountered thee in the lower regions. It was embittered, for it was abolished. It was embittered, for it was mocked. It was embittered, for it was slain. It was embittered, for it was overthrown. It was embittered, for it was fettered in chains. It took a body and met God face to face. It took earth and encountered heaven. It took that which was seen and fell upon the unseen. O oh, death, where is your sting? O oh, hell, where is your victory? Christ is risen and you are overthrown. Christ is risen and the demons are fallen. Christ is risen and the angels rejoice. Christ is risen and life reigns. Christ is risen and no one dead remains in the grave. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen and amen. He is alive, and the tomb is empty for you and for me. Praise the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you for the message of Easter, that you are alive.